Welcome to Murder and Mimosas, a true crime podcast brought to you by a mother and daughter duo, bringing you murder stories with the mimosas in hand. Darkcast Network. Welcome to the dark side of podcasting. Just a quick disclaimer before we get started. Our show is Murder and Mimosas. It's a true crime podcast. This means that we do discuss crimes, including but not limited to disappearances, murder, and sexual assaults. All our episodes are told with the respect of the victims and the victims' families in mind. We strive to ensure that we provide factual information, but some information is more verifiable than others. With that, grab your mimosas and let's dive in. Welcome back to Murder and Mimosas, where you sip and we share. I'm Danica. And I'm Shannon. In today's podcast, we're going to tell you the crazy story of the Briley brothers. So, let's get started. James and Bertha Briley lived in Highland Park, which was a middle-class neighborhood in Richmond, Virginia. The streets had these mature trees and it had row houses. James worked at a concrete block factory and Bertha worked in food service at the school. So, the couple went on to have three sons. Linwood, James Jr. that people call JB, and Anthony. Why did they name the first one Linwood? They didn't like him. I don't know. By all accounts, this seemed like your typical normal family. And it was. Until, well, it wasn't. That's very dateline of me. Yes. (laughs) Bertha ended up moving out of the house when the two oldest boys were in high school. And the marriage dissolved. James was left with all three boys to contend with. By this time, Linwood and JB had begun to get out of hand, and James was so fearful of his own sons that he slept with a padlock on his bedroom door. Were they abusive to their father, or where did this fear come from? I don't think they were abusive to him, but I think they definitely didn't respect his authority. By the time Linwood was 15, he was known around town as a bully, as well as JB. Boys were always starting fights. In fact, many say that Linwood was the brains and JB was the muscle. The Brileys had an elderly neighbor that lived by them, Orlean Christian. She was a 57-year-old, newly widowed woman, and she people knew that she had a heart condition. In January of 1971, she was hanging clothes out to dry on her clothesline and dropped dead. Her family, of course, assumed it was from her heart condition. The funeral home returned Orlean's robe she was wearing at the time she died back to the family. And on further examination of the robe, they noticed a hole in it and blood. So they called the funeral home and they asked them to examine her body. They found a small hole below her armpit and then called the police. It appears Orlean was murdered and did not die of natural causes as they thought. Had this family not looked at the robe no one would ever known this this is really crazy yeah that's crazy but listen to this the detective got a two by four and cut it down to orlean's height and he got in touch with the ambulance driver that picked her up and asked where her body was found and he used the board to determine where the gunshot would have come from he determined it was from the barley's house sure enough they go there and they find the gun that linwood shot her with he was only 16 at the time So, no one in the house heard this gunshot? Well, apparently he was home alone at the time, but he showed no remorse at all and said she was going to die soon anyway. 
So, you know, no big deal. He was given a whole year in reform school for her murder. What? That's not, that's not justice at all. I'd be so livid if I was her family. I think most anyone would. And by the way, this school did not reform him in any way. Otherwise, that would be the end of our episode. So <laughs> That's true. Well, we know it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so maybe because so little was done to Linwood for the murder of their neighbor. You know, I'm starting to realize that he's probably really mad at the world because his name's Linwood. <laughs> <laughs> but for the murder of their neighbor, J.B., he followed in his brother's footsteps. At 16, J.B. was arrested in 1975, or sorry, in 1973 for robbery and an attempted murder of a police officer. He was running away from the scene. When the police arrived, one officer began to chase him on foot, and J.B. turned around and shot at the officer. He, too, was sent to reform school and released after a year. I don't know what's wrong. I'm thinking that the year of reform school didn't help his brother, and I would have to assume isn't going to help him either. I guess they didn't realize it, and I'm sure they would come to regret that later. But no, to answer your question, this did not reform JB in any way either, because, you know, like I said, the episode would be very short. So some may have thought that it did some good because, you know, there weren't any other murders or attempted murders that anyone knew of for several years. Until 1979, not that they were, like, productive citizens or anything. By 1979, all three men are still living with their dad at home, and they're all in their 20s by now. They have a neighbor that seems to idolize them, and he's only 16. His name is Duncan Meekins. Why? What is wrong with these names? Who named these kids? Duncan Donuts? Yeah, it is spelled like that, too. <laughs> Okay, so the men take him under their wing, if you will, and let him embark on terrorizing the city with him. So they got themselves a sidekick. Yeah, that little rock into their Batman. Nope, those are superheroes. These guys are not. Okay, okay. I've been around for something too long. Harley Quinn to Joker or something. Okay. Okay, so March 12th, 1979, Linwood approaches the home of William and Virginia Butcher. He's knocking on the door, and 59-year-old William answers. Linwood tells him that his car is broken down, and he needs to come in and call AAA. Maybe sensing, like, something's off, William tells him that he will call for him and ask for his AAA card. So Linwood gets a card out of his wallet, and when William opens the screen door to retrieve it, Linwood pulls a gun on him and barges through the front door. After Linwood got in, the rest of the crew entered the house behind him. The couple were tied up while the crew ransacked the house, finding anything that they deemed valuable. They also poured gas throughout the house, and on his way out, Linwood lights a match, and, of course, a fire ensues. Miraculously, William's able to get his hands free, and the two escaped the fire unharmed. That is terrifying. Did they know this couple, or was there some reason this house was chosen? Okay, so not to my knowledge or anything, not anything I could find. Their house is like seven miles-ish away from the Briley's house. And it seemed kind of like they were just picking a number out of a hat. But March 21st, the guys are at it again. They enter the house of 20-year-old Michael McDuffie. They robbed him and fatally shot him. On March 31st, Linwood shoots and kills 28-year-old Edric Clark. Now, unlike the other two earlier assaults, 
they do actually know this guy, or at least Duncan the sidekick does. And there's some kind of conflict over like drugs between him and Duncan. Linwood, I guess, decides that he's going to remedy the situation for his little friend sidekick guy. So on April 9th, they're driving around and they say they um, they see 76-year-old Mary Gowan. And she's heading home from babysitting. These men follow her in. They rape her. They beat her. They fatally shoot her. And then they steal what they want from her home. On July 4th, Independence Day, um, 17-year-old Christopher Phillips is hanging out like in the vicinity of Linwood's car. And for whatever reason, the guys get it in their heads that he's scoping it out to steal. And who knows? Maybe he was. Maybe he wasn't. But the brothers decide they can't stand for this. He needs to be taken out. So they drag him to a nearby backyard and begin to beat him. When he calls out for help, a cinder block is dropped on his head. The poor kid was beaten to death just for hanging around too close to Linwood's car. I don't know a lot about Richmond, especially in 1979, but are these crimes normal? I mean, I mean, what they have, are, there, are they suspecting anything? This seems like a lot of crimes within this vicinity of town. So it wasn't like the best town, but it, it wasn't this bad either. So the police later say they weren't linking the crimes together because they weren't seeing any similarities. That's true. It's all pretty random and not the same M.O. for any of them. Yeah, not the same M.O., not the same victimology. So I will say that I understand why they weren't linked together at first. It's like they get high and they get bored and they're like, hey, let's go terrorize someone. Maybe some of it they're doing for what they can get, like when they were at the house, but not all of it. But since they are not getting caught, they continue on. And in September 14th, not in September 14th, on September 14th, 51-year-old John Gallagher is a local disc jockey, and he's also known as Johnny G from Tennessee. He's also known for doing gigs at nightclubs, playing bass in the band, just moonlighting, doing other things. On this specific night, he was at the Log Cabin nightclub. I'm not going to this town. <laughs> they named their kids. Log Cabin does not sound like a name for a nightclub. Sounds like a place where I want to go to get syrup. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> stay in the woods. Anyway, Johnny G didn't smoke. And if you've been to a nightclub, they're usually pretty smoky, especially in the 70s. So Johnny G would step outside to get some fresh air between his sets. The man had been cursing. No, cruising, not cursing. They'd been cruising and cursing, probably. They were probably cursing. Let's be real. That's true. Um. So while they're cursing, they were also cruising. Cruising, <laughs> cruising. Cursing and cruising. Um, and they're looking for another target. So they finally decide to park. I don't know, maybe to save gas or they were tired of driving. Whatever. We have figured out that they're pretty random. So there's no rhyme or reason to anything that they do. But they parked by the light, the log cabin nightclub. And they see Johnny G come out with the you know out to get his fresh air and the men decide they're going to assault him and put him in the back of his own lincoln continental and they take him to james river they shoot him in the back of the head they push him down the embankment where he lands in the water and his body was found two days later 
it's crazy that these guys go years without acting like this and then they escalate so quickly. They also don't seem to have any fear of getting caught at all. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back right after this ad. Autumn's Oddities is a strange and unusual podcast made by the strange and unusual me, Autumn Gruby. Each week, I'll be taking you through some of the creepiest cases true crime has to offer. It won't only be true crime. I'll also be covering cryptids, haunted places, haunted things, and the true stories that inspired horror movies. Listen every Monday and Friday for new episodes. And remember, if it's creepy and weird, you'll find it here. That's true. And honestly, I don't really know what brought any of it on. They seem to like have a pretty good life and loving parents. And it's also rare to have one serial killer. But when your sons join together to become serial killers, what do you do with that? Most likely blame yourself and wonder what on earth happened. What did I do wrong? How did I go wrong as a parent? I'm not really sure. Fair enough. Well, on September 30th, the guys strike again. They're looking for another victim, and they find 62-year-old Mary Wilfong walking home from work. And as she's about to get into her apartment, the men attack her. She's beaten to death with a baseball bat, and her home is ransacked, and anything, again, that they deem valuable is taken. So October 5th... Wait a minute. Are the police investigating at all? I get that they aren't linking these crimes to the same person or people, but are they solving anything? They're working on it, but remember, this is 1979. They don't have the technology we do now, and none of these tie back. You know, they're probably looking at connections. They're also random. They don't really have ties. connections. Are they doing anything? Well, they don't have, you know, DNA, so they're probably thinking somebody they know, and these guys don't really know these people. That's true. So... Back to October 5th before you interrupted. I'm just kidding. (laughs) The guys think another home invasion might be fun. They have a weird idea of fun. They enter the house of 79-year-old Blanche Page. Not Blanche. What? My golden girl's heart. So she was nearly blind and had a boarder living with her. Her boarder was 59-year-old Charles Garner. Page was found in her room beaten to death with a baseball bat. Police said there was blood splatter on all the walls in her bedroom, and it was a truly gruesome crime scene. Charles was found in the kitchen. He had also been beaten with a bat, but on top of that, he was also stabbed with knives as well as scissors and a fork. 
In fact, the fork as well as the scissors were left embedded in his back. The police felt like this was overkill. When we have overkill, what is that usually from, Shannon? Usually someone they know and who is very angry with them. That wasn't the case here, though. These guys just go off on it or something. I don't know what they're doing. So October 19th, JB has a court appearance. He's still on parole from the attempted murder of the police officer in 1973. Get this. The judge asked, is he on the straight and narrow? And he said he's a law-abiding citizen. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Okay. That's funny. So the men are looking for more victims, and they see a friend and drug dealer of theirs, Harvey Wilkerson, down the street. The men show up, and Harvey lets them in. And there is 23-year-old Judy Barton, and she's eight months pregnant, and they're inside, along with her five-year-old son, Harvey Barton. The men bind and gag the two adults and the young boy with duct tape. They take turns raping Judy, who's very pregnant, making sure that Harvey knows what's happening. They take what they want from the house. JB shoots Judy five times in the head. He he told Duncan to kill someone since he had yet to have a kill under his belt. Not Duncan, Durkin, to kill someone. Um, So he took a gun to Harvey's head and shot him. The little boy was shot in the head last by JB. I realize these guys don't have souls, but how do you look at an innocent little boy and shoot him? Not that any of these victims have served that bad. I mean, a little boy? I know. It breaks my heart. But like you said, they there's no way these guys have souls. So we talked some about the police, and it feels like they aren't getting anywhere. But we haven't really talked about what they've done. But they did actually end up getting a fingerprint from Johnny G's car, and it was Linwood's. They had him under surveillance, if you want to call it that. He was apparently under surveillance when all of this went down, but they had lost track of him. They were in the vicinity and heard the gunshots. They aren't sure where it's coming from, but they can hear them. They begin to search the area, and they see JB, Anthony, and Durkin. Duncan, right? Duncan Donuts. Duncan Donuts. Duncan running down the street and again lose track of them. So days go by. Nobody even knows this family's been murdered until a neighbor calls about this horrid smell coming from the house. The police get there to investigate. And before the gang left, they let Harvey's pet snakes out. And the couple also had two baby pit bull puppies. With the puppies and snakes roaming free in the house for days, there's blood everywhere and they had to call animal control to get the animals out before they could even investigate so right away the Bradley brothers are suspects because they were already tailing them they saw them in the area they are apprehended and taken into custody along with Duncan and Linwood isn't speaking he says nothing police are telling him he could get the death penalty for this and he says he will take it like a man In fact, one of the detectives that was brought in was Leroy Morgan. He was interviewing Linwood and noticed that he had on a ring that belonged to Johnny G. Oh my gosh, how did he know that? So he was actually good friends with Johnny G and with him when Johnny G had bought the ring. Oh, wow. While none of the Briley brothers are talking, someone is singing like a canary. And it's Duncan. He tells police, about everything he was involved in 
everything that he even knew about. The men, of course, go to trial, and Duncan testifies in Linwood and J.B.'s trials, and both men are sentenced to death. Anthony, on the other hand, had never actually killed anyone, or at least that they could prove. So he wasn't sentenced to death, but he was sentenced to life in prison plus 119 years. Duncan also received a life sentence. He is housed in an undisclosed location under an alias for his protection. As of today, you mean? Yes. Did he get a new hearing, being that he was just 16 and not allowed to be sentenced to life as a minor? I don't know, but I do know he has been up for parole, and it's always been denied. There have been attorneys that have rallied on his behalf to let him out, saying that he should have gotten immunity or lenience since none of this would have been solved without his confession and testimony. Linwood and J.B., were both sentenced to death row at Mecklenburg Correctional Center. It's a maximum security prison. It opened in 1976 and was thought to be pretty well designed and hard to escape. However, there were some that escaped. The Briley brothers still ran the show in prison, and guards were scared of them and their gang of friends. The Briley brothers, along with four men, escaped on May 31st, 1984. The men had studied the guards who didn't follow security as they should all the time, and one of the inmates, Clanton, hid in the bathroom, which was close to the entrance of the death row cell block entrance. Once the control room door was left open, he was given a signal by another inmate keeping guard, and he charged it. He overpowered the guard inside and locked the cell blocks. So inmates had weapons hidden that they used to take over the guards when the cells open. They ended up Binding the guards, and they took their uniforms in an attempt to help them escape. So they called the front gate of the prison. They told it, told them they needed to open up the front, and they needed a van because they had the, a bomb they had to get out that the inmates had made. Honestly, kind of a clever plan. But yeah. So the six inmates had the uniforms of the guards on, as well as helmets to conceal their identities, and wheeled a TV out on a stretcher, spraying it with a fire extinguisher. But get it in the van and drive right out of the prison. What? <laughs> okay, this can't be real. A TV on a stretcher? I know, but it worked. The men escaped. They all had pretty short escapes, but they escaped. The Briley brothers did make it out the longest, but they were captured on June 19th. They went to Pennsylvania, where they had an uncle that got them jobs at a car garage under false names. I'm just thinking these guys' faces had to be everywhere. How is someone not knowing who they are? I would say that things weren't as widely known, but I think with so many people having like three or four channels and news coming on them all at the same time, it had to be pretty hard to not to know what was going on, as well as the newspapers. So I'm not sure. Sometimes I go back and forth on that. At any rate, it sounds like it may be the first time these two ever had actual jobs. How did they even get caught? So the FBI began going through prison records, and they looked into relatives that might would have helped them in. And they found their uncle, Johnny Lee Council, and they looked into him. They found the men there, and a SWAT team with the FBI arrested them. Of course, their uncle was also arrested for harboring fugitives. The prison was closed for good in 2012, 
but before it was closed, it was made into a minimum security prison. Linwood was executed on October 12, 1984, and J.B. in the same electric chair on April 18, 1985. So I'm actually kind of shocked it happened so quickly because we have some on death row for like 30 or more years, you know? So um, they, actually, they were not able to prove that Anthony killed anyone. So I guess you have two serial killers. But I'm saying two out of three, those aren't good odds for your, your children. No. It is not. So this was really just, like, interesting to me because these men didn't have, like, preferred victimology. Um, They killed different races, sexes, ages, economic classes. There was no rhyme or reason. And the fact, like, it was a group of four really boggles me. I will say that Linwood and JB were really convicted on mainly the testimony of Duncan. The police didn't have much to go on. And Linwood claimed before he was executed... He, like that he was innocent so let us know what you think do you think they were innocent or do you think that they were guilty i'm thinking they got what they deserved but that's just my thoughts let us know what you think at uh, 11 o'clock and he was uh, pronounced dead by the attending physician at 11:05. james briley and his attorneys tried to use the media to escape the chair but it didn't work I, of course, chose to escape because I'm innocent, and if you're innocent, I believe that you're supposed to be free. The youngest brother, Anthony Briley, who apparently didn't kill anybody, is up for parole. So was Duncan Meekins, who killed one victim at the urging of Linwood Briley. Both Von Shook and Harding are trying to help Meekins, now 46 years old. We always recommend more bubbly and less OJ. Cheers! If you'd like to see pictures from today's episode, you can find us at murder.mimosas on Instagram. You can also find us at murder.mimosas on TikTok, Twitter. And if you have a case you would like us to do, you can send that to murder.mimosas at gmail.com. And lastly, we are on Facebook at Murder and Mimosas Podcast, where you can interact with us there. We love any type of feedback you can give us, so... Please rate and review us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts.